right, Dylan. It is Sunday evening. I just cracked a uh, free seltzer that they gave away in the media center. Mm -hmm. Feeling good. You were holding out for a Mick Ultra, <laughs> but I think they brought like a limited supply. When Kepka wins, they have unlimited Mick Ultra. Yep, that's not my today. King. Uh, describe for the people listening where we are right now. We are sitting uh, next to the second hole at Riviera yeah, Country right Club. Right of the second fairway. Outside next to a tree. It's right, funny. Right where Rory ended up <laughs> off the tee today. I'm usually struck by like the anti-climax that happens after golf tournaments because, you know, usually they finish up right before it gets dark. And then there's this whole process of like starting to tear down bleachers, scoreboards, all that stuff. And it's like kind of sad because it's dark. I don't have any of that right now because we had an early finish. It's actually beautiful. Yeah, this is like sun's the going nicest down. part of the day. It makes me want to get out and play a few holes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Too bad we didn't bring our clubs, actually, to the media <laughs> center. But the Genesis Invitational is over. Adam Scott won by two at 11 under par. He had a very interesting day. He ended up actually dropping from the top of the pack after a bogey and then a double early on his front nine. And I pretty much counted him out. But that's the story of the day is that people were jumping up and jumping off the leaderboard like constantly. Everyone was done. I think I wrote off basically every person on the leaderboard at some point. Rory made a triple. You had Kuchar dropping down. Harold Varner doing God knows what on the 10th <laughs> hole. Uh, I mean, you had Scott Brown getting in the mix. And you want to know why? Because Riviera is a damn good golf course. Everything, every tee shot, every approach shot asks for something out of your game out here there is nothing easy out here like the first hole is the easiest hole but plenty of guys made par there mm -hmm. you have a lot of nerves off that tee shot all the fans are surrounding you like this golf course asks for a ton out of these guys and the winning score from adam scott all you did was shoot 70 today one under yeah i mean and what happened today was basically the course played the hardest it's played this week. It got windy late. It got a little bit windy. The greens were nice and firm and dry, and those four or five-foot putts got a little <laughs> scary, a little bit slippery. Tiger showed us that yesterday, but we saw plenty of that today. And then, you know, guys just playing with some nerves, being near the lead. It's so fun on a PGA Tour Sunday when there's a lot of guys near the lead. What blows me away is that Adam Scott, this is his first start in 2020. This is his first start since winning in Australia towards the end of 2019, the guy's actually playing, you could you could argue, some of the best, if not the best golf of his life. Wow. Yeah. I know he won a Masters. Mm-hmm. That was I, pretty good. And I know he won a Players. Also good. But his, his peaks are very high. I think that's the idea with Adam Scott is that he's not going to peak all the time and his sustained peaks aren't as high as maybe Rory's or DJ's, Tiger's, Kepka, Spieth. Like those guys are probably a notch above him. But when he's on a golf course that works for him ball striking wise, when he putts well enough and he chips well enough, damn it if he's not a top eight player in the world. The thing with Scott today, watching him today, you know, he's still got the long putter. He still keeps the pin in from everywhere around the green. It does not inspire confidence because it looks like well, different. It looks yeah. like a, a crutch. But instead, it but, was Scott. Like, that was, look at his swing compared to Harold Varner's swing. That well, swing does not induce confidence. No doubt. But it, it was, you know, Scott that was pouring in the clutch putts today. And it was Rory's that were sliding by the high side, the low side, catching lips. When usually you'd think it would be the other way around. 
I'm just like impressed that a guy, any guy can win, you know, like he took a two month break from like elite competition and he said he needed to because he ends up playing events in Australia that a lot of pros don't play. Yeah. So like his off season starts a little bit later than Tiger Woods off season and then call this his preseason before the majors really get going that starts later he just like has pushed yeah. everything back and so everyone goes out and plays tory they play the hawaii swing events they play the waste management phoenix open and it just kind of feels like adam scott is behind the eight ball and somehow he's not like somehow he has prepped he spent two weeks in the bahamas practicing and it just feels like he shouldn't be able to do what he did this week. <laughs> no, it really does. I think that's a good point because it's always kind of like troubling to us that try to make sense of this game. Mm-hmm. You know, when a guy misses four cuts in a row and then he wins the golf tournament or a guy comes from a long layoff and then is, just goes out and wins. Like, it doesn't really add up, but that's why golf is is so strange. You can just come out and be in good form because your head's in the right spot. You're not overcomplicating things. In Adam Scott's case, you have, you know, one of the best natural golf swings in the history oh, of the game. It's so good. I didn't even watch him enough this week. <laughs> I, I was focused on Rory early. Obviously, everyone focuses on Tiger. I spent enough time watching Brooks on the range, kind of struggling during range sessions. And there's the most gorgeous swing in the world. Yeah. It's, it's one of, you can't name, like, you can't be like, oh, wow, he's got one of the best swings on tour, talking about anybody, without bringing up Adam Scott as well. You can't talk about those dudes without talking about Louis Oosthuizen. Like, the elite swings are always named, and yeah. he, oh, it's so good. All right, well, it was, so not, jealous. it was not all sunshine and rainbows for Adam today, though. Obviously, there was the double he made at five, which looked, you know, ugly for he, he and Rory. But even worse than that, he got to 10, hit this phenomenal chip shot up to about five feet, missed that. At 11, hit a great wedge shot into maybe four feet, missed that. And then Rory (laughs) poured in a birdie putt. It was only two back, and it started to feel like, uh uh-oh, is this going to happen? Yeah. And then he gets to 12, pulls his approach shot left, hits a pretty nice chip, but runs it by the hole and then pours in like an eight-footer coming back. Or how about 15, though? How about 15? He hits it into the bunker short right and has a fried egg lie, skirts it over the green. That was right when Sung Kang was approaching 18. Like, I think that's the idea is that it wasn't just that he went out and played better than everyone, is that he kind of staved off what was a ton of people having chances. Dustin Johnson had a chance. Harold Varner had a chance. Rory McIlroy could have won today. Matt Kuchar could have won today. You go down the list, there's probably 12, I counted, mm-hmm. names of dudes that could have won today. Uh, and so does it make Scott more impressive that he ended up being better than all of them? Yes. I don't know. Like, I think really it just made a phenomenal tournament. Like, I was, I had a blast on Sunday. I couldn't, I couldn't be pulled out into the golf course because I needed a TV in front of me that needed to follow it all. It was kind of like a bit of like a master's type of Sunday where things are happening everywhere. On a whole basic level, on a basic level, what makes the PGA Tour work, what makes golf on TV work is the suspense of a back nine on Sunday. And that's one of the reasons the master's is so great is because we get so many memorable finishes there. And it's kind of funny People say 
that there's no real course that's a good predictor of Augusta yeah. National except Riviera. Yeah, it's weird. Like Mike Weir won here when he won the Masters. Phil Mickelson won here the same year he won the Masters. This event now, middle of February, is six, five or six weeks prior to the Masters. It doesn't feel like Augusta National here. No, well, it doesn't. But they're, the, the thing that is the same, I think, between the two is that the tee shot calls for you to hit a side of a fairway because there's a lot of dog legs out here. Yeah. So it, especially in the back nine, you have to hit a good drive to a certain area. You can miss it a little bit left. You can miss it a little bit right. Guys have been talking about how if you miss in the right spots, you can get away with it. But then the second shot also requires a spot on the green that you can't hit and the spot that you can hit. Like each shot has stakes to it. Yeah. And that is what Augusta National is. So only the most dialed in ball strikers find all those spots or avoid the opposite, the bad spots. I couldn't help but think about Augusta all week because people say that, you know, I, I, I looked at the, the winning scores of the Masters. The past 20 years, the winning score is averaged 10 and a half under. Where are we today? Last, yeah, exactly. 11 under par. The last 20 years of this event, the winning score has been 12 and a half under. It's right around like the perfect number where chaos can happen and you can shoot 76 or you can go mega low and shoot 65 and win the tournament. Like there's so many Augusta vibes out here when it comes to the golf course. Obviously, we're in LA. It's a lot more fun vibe than Augusta. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it just depends. Do you what, disagree? What your the is. vibe here is so much better. Oh, yeah. No, it was awesome. That scene over the 18th green. Yeah, let's talk about with, amphitheaters. With everyone just sitting on the grass, watching the action. The only thing, I don't want to even make it seem like I'm complaining, but the pressure oh of having a one-shot lead instead of a two-shot lead. Oh, completely different. Would have made it a little bit juicier. Is there a better amphitheater in golf than that one? But it was... Uh, Probably 17 at the players. I guess 17 at, at the players. Yeah, but yeah. you can't get... You don't get close to the green. Here, everyone is right on top Everyone's of the green. Freaking so today, the final pants. came up. Matt Kuchar was sneaky only two shots back. Yeah. He if hit, he would have stuck it. He didn't hit much of an approach shot. Hits it short, but then chips it up to like, you know, four or five rotations short of the hole. Yeah. So that got the crowd going. Get you thinking. And then I mean, uh, Rory pours in a birdie putt. He's been in, stuck in neutral all day. <laughs> Finally makes a birdie putt. The crowd crazy. goes nuts. He sneaks into a T5. Classic Rory McIlroy. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, Scott lays up his first putt to like four and a half, five feet yeah, short. Yeah, man. Which you did not like. but Well, it's not that I he was playing didn't like defense. it. I was just got worried for the guy. It was nice that he made that one. An uphill putt that you leave that short, maybe it helps you not four putt like you said. But... He's protecting against uh, that, the four putt. That is that is to me. It's got to be one of the best amphitheaters, top three. He got a true hero's yeah. welcome celebration, whatever it was. From the, it's funny. And yesterday, the people were out Saturday because of the timing of this event. Fans like Saturday afternoon, the tournament ended for the day, and they were just kind of hanging out there. They're like, nah, you know, I bought a ticket to be in here. Well, the it gets a lot of nice. sun. The sun. The sun is out, like there's there's pretty much no shade yep. around the green, and the grass has been kind of baking in the sun, so it's warm. And You've had a couple suds. A lot of Bud Light seltzers, a lot of flying seltzers around gone. this place this weekend. And it's comfy. Um, one of the coolest things about that amphitheater is that it grows throughout the week. Like the 16th at Waste Management, it's got 
tens of thousands of people at, yeah. like on Monday of tournament week. On well, it peaks early too. Same, it really same peaks with, on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. And the same with Sawgrass. Like Sawgrass will have some growth to it throughout the week, but it's, it's like people go there just to sit there. And people kind of get to 18 when it really matters. They will not spend a lot of time there on Wednesday. We walked around the back nine on Wednesday. And there's kind of nobody really, yeah. really hanging out around 18. A little more people there on Thursday, a little more on Friday, way more Saturday. And then Sunday, it is full. You can't move. I ended up uh, actually making the walk from the tee to the green with the last couple of groups. And so I went from the tee right behind our boy, Joel Damon, friend of the program, as you will find out in just a couple days. It's 220 steps up this hill. It actually gets kind of treacherous halfway up the hill because it's been trotted on oh, all week. Slippery. It's slippery. It's actually a lot of loose dirt, but you don't see any of the people. You're just going up this incline and you can hear the people off in the distance, mm. especially when there's a lot of people, thousands of people up there on Sunday. You kind of hear them murmuring in the distance and eventually you ascend after your 220 or so steps over the peak of the hill, you see all these people. The you big see, reveal. Yeah, the big reveal. The clubhouse, and you're not surprised by it, but it, it kind of wakes you up. You got the big like C-suite alongside the 18th green, and you're kind of like locked in. You're checking out, okay, where did my tee shot go? That's the first time you actually see where it landed. And Max Homa, a guy who's from this area, he's played this event at numerous times, his eyes like shot up. His eyes were wide, like, oh wow, that that's what that's what we're doing today. That's what we're dealing with. And he was trying to make birdie and he get made higher bogey. in the league. Yeah, yeah, and he made bogey. Um, Matt Kucher comes up there and he's like smiling because he saw Rory's tee shot was like sixty yards further than his. But that's kind of where pardon my French, shit gets real. Oh yeah. And it's funny, it's not like some of these eighteenth holes where it's like all or nothing, you know, it's not like 18 at Sawgrass, say, where there's water and catastrophe, but there's a lot of bogeys that get made at 18. Well, uh, it's and with, subtle. And with can, like pretty good tee shots. You can hit the right side of the fairway and not have a look at the pin. Yeah. Or at the green period. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where Scott ended up, actually. He was in like, like two feet into the rough and he had hit a really, really good, low, striking drive that yeah. was fairway, 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 rough. And so the, that green is tiny, tiny as hell. It, what's crazy is how hard they could make this place because the, the rough, which we are sitting in right now, <laughs> it's not long. Nope. For some of these shots, the guys are like, yeah, it's, it's almost easier. But it's a better angle it's not long, from the rough. The, like the base of it is thick. The base of the rough is kind of like beaten down and it's, yeah. the blades are pretty thick. So if your ball does sit down, it makes it a, a pretty difficult golf shot. Well, my point was we had Jeff Shackelford on the other day to talk about, you know, what makes a great golf course. But I think to PGA Tour players, to them, what makes a great golf course is not having it be tricked up, you know, not feeling like, oh, the greens are unfair or the rough is crazy long, yeah. the fairways are stupid narrow. Here, I was just talking to Harold Varner. He said, look, I mean, this place is an argument for, like, you can just throw away that distance report <laughs> because, you know, you look at a place like this, there's no more room on this property. It's not super, super long. It was, what, 72, but it's 50 hard. today? Yeah. Total yards. Yeah. I mean, they held the U.S. Amateur here for a reason. Some of the longest amateurs in the game, like, they – 
you need a golf course that will test them. And those guys did not go low that week. This course is going to host the Olympics in 2028 when it comes through Los Angeles. I am so stoked for that. Now yeah. I know like we've got some issues with how the Olympic format has been decided, but we will see some of the 15 probably greatest players on the world playing for a gold medal here. Like yeah. that's going to be phenomenal. Hopefully there's like a, you know, men's and women's team match play event by then. By then <sighs> I won't hold my breath though. But <laughs> Me the either. thing is even if you make number 1 into a par 4, which it really is, then the winning score is what seven under yeah Does my math check out yep so what is our takeaway though on the 10th hole because you said that tour players do not like tricked out they like yeah. fair they like to be punished when they hit a bad shot and they like to be rewarded when they hit a good shot i am really on the fence about number 10 i came into the week thinking that it's a great hole yeah but the more shots that i hit from the modern tour player into that green made me kind of think that it's a little bit tricked up. Shackelford said that, you know, the green might be, it might not be shaped the way it should be. It might yeah. need to be a little bit flatter. You can't hold it with a driver. You have to hit a really high three wood and kind of hope that you can carry it all that way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I left very undecided about it. I think it's awesome. Well, I really it's, do. it's inserted chaos, right? Yeah. Like, and I guess I'm good. always pro chaos and I think a lot of us are, but it's such a centerpiece for this golf course. It sits right in the middle. You know, it's very, that's very true. It like, might be good that it's not number 17 or something because it sits right in the middle of the round where yeah. you can really go one way or the other. <laughs> Obviously we saw Harold Varner today who got to the 10th tee with a share of the lead. Mm. And then I, he basically said afterwards that he blacked he, out. He's he not said sure he what happened. chunked it. But he like drop kicked a tee shot. But Mark Immelman said that it was a, it was a top. To be he 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 probably said did both. That he hit ground first. <laughs> so, so chunk ground. So top it could have been like a chunk top. Yeah, that would make. Both Are there were how, how far did it go? One hundred and twenty nine yards on a three hundred and fifteen yard hole. My man had one hundred and seventy eight <laughs> left to a green that slopes. I mean, it's it is a bit uh, of a golden deal. The green is like sloping that just away. Be a par three from there. It's impossible. It's impossible. I don't think he could have held the green from there. Uh, he hit it long left. Then from there, he went into the bunker long left again. And then back to, you know, 35 feet, made double. I guess what I'm saying is I agree. Like, I don't love it as much as you do, but I do accept it. I think you're right. It is It is in the perfect spot in this entire golf course. You look at the routing. Yeah. And it the tee shot on 10 is right by 18 green. And it's very near the first tee. That's a little like sweet spot where you can see a lot of crap happen. If you're in the grandstands on 18, you can see a lot of really cool golf shots. So the one thing I'll say about 10 that I'm not crazy about is the area to the left where everyone's golf balls kind of collect. Mm, there's this is just, important. There's a few like there's a, there's three or four big trees. Tall where, palm tall trees. Palms tall palms. Where skinny you really just palm have trees. the you really just have the trunks there. But then there's just a few kind of scraggly little trees. And they just are there to kind of mess with you. Mm -hmm. They don't they're, really. They, they don't feel natural. They to don't the feel area. natural. There's not a whole lot of other trees around that are that are like that. That are around greens that are regularly in play. Yeah. And they just seem like they're put there to be like, ah, you know, let's just make this thing a little bit harder. Yeah. Well, because guys bail out there for a reason. If those yeah. trees are not there, it is a. That's the only the only play. You go yeah. to a, this little runoff. Hopefully, you don't get screwed over by one of the very skinny tall palm trees so they play a important purpose 
but maybe they should be bushes and not like these low hanging trees or something. The one thing I fully realized being here in person is just the way you can't actually like hit that green. I mean, you technically can, you know, trundle up on the front edge. Uh, Yeah. I think it's you like hit a high three wood that you hope lands literally on the front edge. Yeah. Or five yards prior to Yeah. A little short of it and it trickles up onto it that because it's so descending I, yeah. I i think it would be perhaps better played at 295 yards downhill yeah where guys that can hit the ball really far hit two iron and can maybe with a lot more spin on an iron shot maybe they can actually hold on to the green i don't know because at that point probably five wood is like the real five play wood gets into rory's hands anyway <laughs> I think it is one of those things, like Augusta National now, if you introduced it brand new onto the tour, Mm, people would freak out. They would freak out. But as it is, we love it. All right. Well, let's talk about Rory because you just brought him up in the idea of a five wood. Uh, Are we surprised by him today? Um, Yeah. Because he went into the the final round with a share of the lead. Him, Kuchar, and Scott were all at 10 under. He ended up shooting 73, finishes at 8 under but really didn't sniff the lead for the entire back nine because he made a pretty shocking triple. He did. I'm surprised by Rory. And, you know, afterwards I think to myself, okay, am I dumb to be surprised by this? He has – it's not one or the other with Rory. He is not either a cold-blooded killer on Sundays or someone that shrinks when he's in the final group. He can be both of those at different times, and Mm -hmm. we've seen both of those in the last couple years. But, man, I – definitely thought basically all week that he was going to win this golf tournament yeah it's interesting rory is the i will i think we can crown him confidently at least myself the best player in the world right now like over the past year he has been a better golfer than all the other golfers yeah brooks has won more big tournaments the majors the last three years and tiger has had these incredible incredible weeks um he doesn't play all that much, and he had a pretty disappointing week. But Rory's been the best golfer. And he was, in my opinion, in first or second speed, like, all week. I use that analogy all over the website at golf.com. But he was kind of under the radar and not making a ton of birdies, but really, really avoiding bogeys. He wasn't exactly striping it, but he was still shooting in the upper 60s every single day. And just kind of inching closer to the threshold that Matt Kuchar had set. So I'm not that surprised that if he was a little sloppy, it happened this week where he wasn't really, really great. He chipped the ball really well, but he did not putt well on Saturday and did not putt well today. Drove the ball really well and struck it pretty well all week. But he wasn't never like bucking his head Rory. He never felt like he was actually grabbing the tournament it felt like he just kind of nuzzled up to the yeah. the lead and then kind of retreated so there were a couple moments that stuck out to me obviously there's the triple that he made on five caught a flyer you know made a pretty good swing but just ended up long of the green and he was absolutely toast hit a shot that he caught a little thin rolled back etc etc seven but he's hanging around at seven under par he gets to the ninth hole Kuchar and Scott are both at 10 under par. Harold Harold Varner also at 10 under par in the midst of playing the 10th hole. And the pin on nine is right on the front edge. It's sort of, it's almost sitting on a downslope. 
So the only way to get close to it is A, to pound a drive down the fairway, and then B, hit a high lofted wedge with quite a bit of spin that challenges the front bunker, sits right on that downslope, and then just grabs. And sure enough, Scott and Kuchar each hit shots out of the rough that go a little bit long, a little bit over the green. And then Rory hits this high, perfect wedge oh, just right of the pin. So good. I was sitting right behind the fringe, so I had like this awesome view of it. And boom, comes in, stops probably eight feet from the hole. Incredible shot. 270 degree lip out. Kind of a horseshoe situation. He can't believe it. Goes to the 10th hole, hits a great drive, a neat little chip to five feet. Misses. Misses that one too. Yep. High side the whole way. That was it for him. And I mean, toast. that feels like the difference for Rory on days like these. I guess the fact that he contended for 63 holes, had really good golf for 63 holes, and it wasn't even his best stuff. It wasn't even really his B-plus game. It felt like it was his B game. That has me excited about Rory. Yeah. Because, again, at this time of year with this guy, it only freaking matters if he has a green jacket on his body in six weeks. Is he going to? That's all that matters. Uh, he is one of three people that I would choose as the favorites right now. The other has to be Tiger. Who would be third? Kepka? Adam Scott. Wow. <laughs> I am lucky when Scott won the PGA, the Australian PGA in December, I logged a little 40 to 1 bet on that Aussie to win his second green jacket. It looks really good right now. There's a lot of value right there. There's a lot of value with the other Aussies. Mark Leishman mm. won. Cam Smith has played pretty well at Augusta. Cam Smith was out here practicing Jason this weekend. Day oh. played really well at Augusta. Aussie Nation, man. Looks good right now. You mentioned Tiger. Let's talk just briefly about his week. Is there anything uh, that you take away from Tiger's week here? 68th I'm shocked. Place, I'm shocked at Tiger. Of players that made the cut, he yeah. was last. I mean, he, he came into the week and we had the highest expectations. We talked to Jeff Shackelford and I was like, Jeff, can you even really believe that we are at this point again where Tiger Woods has peaked again? He is one of the top two favorites to win every single week he plays. He's playing an event that he hasn't had success at, but he's been pretty good at. Yeah, I was all in on pretty much book it. Tiger's going to top 15th this week. He's going to contend. It means a lot to him. He's the host. He's dialed in, whatever. And then, damn it, he played horrible for the last 63 holes. Yikes. Yeah, 31 going out on Yikes. Thursday. And then, you know, it's hard to really ever. He putted like an idiot. He putted today. like an idiot. Today, yesterday. Did not chip well. His irons game was as it always is, the best part of his bag, but it didn't bail him out in times in the past. It has bailed him out. Did yeah. not drive the ball like incredibly well. So yeah, I mean, a challenging golf course, I would expect Tiger to excel at compared to the rest of the field. That was not the case. So excuse me for a lot of recency bias, but I'd be a little bit concerned. Yeah. I mean, he, he pretty much said, you know, he was not feeling that great on Friday. His body was not you know, it was stiff. It was cold. I wonder how we'd feel if he had just missed the cut. Yeah. I mean, he was only, what, two shots away from doing <laughs> yeah. so. Let's say he, like, screwed up on 18, got in a bad lie. We'd be like, ah, you know what? Just not his week. He's a host. He's busy. But he made the cut and then played like crap. One interesting. I think we feel worse because of it. One interesting thing, just from his post-round comments today, 
he was asked if he would do anything differently in terms of preparation. And he said, yeah, I'd probably get out here a few days early, <laughs> which to me is Dude, like, yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Because he didn't practice on Monday. He didn't practice on Tuesday. He played a pro-am <laughs> on Wednesday. That was kind of it. And then boom, right into the fire. It's so weird though, because we're just always like, how much golf can this guy stand at this point in his life? And well, he we're always just guessing. Yeah, well, we're just guessing. At times, it sounds like he's guessing because yeah. he's like, "Well, you know, he, on Friday morning, he's not sure if he's going to commit to Mexico, and on Friday afternoon, he's not sure. But then three hours later, he is sure. Like, it it feels weird to not always know. Yeah, Tiger will be out there. And then there's the question also of, you know, it's not like this guy has been playing a ton of golf. You can't really blame it on that. It's not like, oh, he's been pounding balls at the range. He's been playing tournaments every week. It makes sense that he's run down. No, this guy hasn't <laughs> played a tournament in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Here he is. You'd think you'd be well-rested, but I don't know. All this hosting stuff, man, I, I was a little stuck in between the like elder statesman and the player. Sure. But that's, like probably, that, that, that's what happens when you see the end of your career coming. I mean, the end of his true playing career yeah. is probably a little more than a decade away. He will play the Masters, and if he can have exemptions into the other majors, he will play all you know the biggest events that he will happen. He senses it. You can hear it. Yeah. So, like, it could be three years away. It could be six. It could be, it could be 12. All right. Can we talk about something happier? I'm just saying, like, the guy is always going to be in that weird spot. So um, before we go, we, we don't have a ton more to talk about. Uh, we have flights to catch, but I want to ask you this question. This event had a mega field, absolutely mega, 647 strength of field. All that means for the people is that it is on the level of Jack's tournament, the Memorial. It is on the level of just about all the WGCs. It is not at the level of the players or the majors, but it is the next rung below. When you take away the majors and you take away the players, this is an invitational. It's the Genesis Invitational. Jax is an invitational. The Arnold Palmer Invitational. The WGCs technically are invitationals. Is this the most compelling and perhaps best invitational oh. that we have on the PGA Tour? Are you asking a fifth major question? No. I'm Six, asking if it's major. If it's the best invitational. Like you look at the rings of tour events. Yes. And I will put the four majors and I will put the players as one B to the four majors being one A. Is this the next best next best, biggest, most challenging, great event on the PJ Tour? I will put it no doubt ahead of Bay Hill because like Orlando, you can have it. Um, <laughs> Only based off location. It's hard for me to put this ahead of Memorial right now. Why? Because the recent history and tradition at Memorial has just been a little bit better. This event in the last few years, like before it was an invitational. Yeah, it was a decent tournament on a great golf course, but there weren't that many, you know, it wasn't guaranteed that you'd have a top, top, top to your field. So, like, yeah, this was incredible. If this continues, I would say it's going no question. To. It's going to. The best players in the it world. It's Tiger Woods' event. It's Tiger's event. He's going to be that elder statesman, and the best players are going to come. They love this golf course. Yeah. Max Homa calls it the best course he's ever played, which makes me think that he should maybe get out a little bit more. But also, DJ loves it. Rory loves it. Adam Scott says it's the, his favorite event on the PGA Tour. Matt Kuchar, I absolutely love this golf course. It has the potential These to. These people will always show up. Because 
you know, it's pretty beautiful walking out onto mm. a June afternoon in Dublin, Ohio, <laughs> enjoying the fresh memorial air. But but I got to tell you, this is a better golf course than that one. Yeah. And the atmosphere and the vibe here, that's great. And I don't want to disparage the good people of the Midwest. They turn out. It is great. But look, there's even for being in L.A., there's a fair amount of star power here. Yeah. There's some action going on. Um, so, no, I'm not ready to commit to it just yet, but I think we're on the road. Ooh, we got the grounds crew. The grounds crew now. coming through. Uh, all right. Well, before we go, um, we had a little fun earlier this week doing a number of podcasts, and one of them, which will hit the airwaves in a couple of days, is with Joel Damon, Wednesday morning, on your podcast feed. Tell the people what they should be looking forward to with the Damon interview. All right. Well, here's the thing. We recorded this just before the start of play. We recorded it on Wednesday before the Genesis started. And at the end of the interview, my last question to Joel was, okay, since we're going to run this after the tournament, how'd you play? Where'd you finish? And here's what he told us. I made my first cut here at the Genesis. Nice. It was solid. Uh, I, I believe there's no reason I shouldn't have a top 20 this week. Um, and if I putt well, I'll be sniffing the 10th place-ish finish. Wow. So, uh, looks like I'm going to putt, uh, average-ish. I'll probably finish around that 20, yeah. 25th mark. And basically, that happened. Yeah. T8. It's funny. <laughs> I, I ran into him right after, uh, he putted out on 18. He was coming up. He had just signed his scorecard and he comes over and he hits me on the shoulder and he was like, Hey, better than top 20 <laughs> i was like all right man it was fun tracking that all week because he has played this event twice prior to and missed the cut both times yeah so he came out here i think it was friday he shot a 65 saturday oh wait i don't know saturday 66 either way we were tracking him all week and we're kind of interested to see is it true that he should not miss the top 20 and it, could he putt well enough to get into the top 10? Never faltered. Absolutely and happened. Man, the only thing, last interesting thing, was my man Joel was right in the mix. Ah. And then on 18, he uh, missed a four or five footer that probably cost him, I don't know, $300,000. Oh. And I saw him afterwards. He was like, yeah, I mean, you get into contention and then it's kind of a letdown once you realize you're not going to win. And you're like, oh shit, that putt was worth like 200K. Well, I hope he listens to this because I got back to the 17 green as he was making the turn from 17 to 18 and he had to walk right by me and just straight, like locked in, Hell didn't yeah. even look left or right. I was like right next to him and he was on Laser a beeline, focused. you could tell, um, but it didn't even give me a little thumbs up or anything. Anyway, that's a teaser for Joel Damon. <laughs> coming out on Wednesday. We hope you listen. We hope you leave us a five-star review. Only would, five stars. We would love that. these four-star reviews. And uh, until then, this is The Drop Zone from the Genesis Invitational. <laughs>